Welcome to the Harwood Hustle, powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, we're joined by the creator of the Read and React offense and founder of Better Basketball, Rick Torbett. Over 20 years ago, Coach Rick asked some hard questions about how he could create a flow to his offense, play his five best players regardless of position, and truly help his team learn the game. In part one, Coach Rick shares the stories behind how he developed it and why so many coaches have implemented the Read and React offense. Let's get started. Welcome back to Hardwood Hustle. Lisa and myself are with you today. And Lisa, excited about this conversation. We've got our good friend, Rick Torbett, founder of Better Basketball and the Read and React offense. And Rick, this is a um, monumental year. This is 20 years ago to, to this year when you created the Read and React offense. And it's a big reason why we wanted to have you on other than just an excuse to talk to you because we love talking hoops with you. But Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa and, and Sam. It's an honor. And I yeah. can't believe it's been 20 years. That's unbelievable. I know. And showing my age a little bit, I remember that that was when I had first started and gotten into coaching and you had actually came in those er, that early first year to when TJ and I were coaching together um, and you were introducing it and kind of working through it yourself. So, yeah. Hey, let's, let's start here, Rick. And, you know, for the three people who don't know who you are in the basketball world, um, you know, you started better basketball, you know, 20, almost 25 years ago. And then, you know, you before that you were well during that you were a high school coach. You were a successful high school coach. You won a lot of games, had a lot of success. But you, like a lot of coaches, we we have these pain points and these growing pains. And you know, maybe just share the origins because, like any great idea, it usually comes on the heels of pain and something bad happening, and it's what triggers and creates this this idea, this invention. And we'll, we'll unpack it, but just start with us there 20 years ago when you're like, hey, this has got to get created. That's a great observation, by the way, to the point I'm at the point now where uh, something bad happens and it, uh, my response is good. Good. <laughs> come on, because there's there's going to be a good solution out of this or it's going to change me or something good's going to come out of it. Uh uh, I, I think in terms of problems, I was every man, every woman's coach. I think I've experienced every every problem, and I've tried whatever whatever you could try in twenty years of coaching. Okay, at uh, four different schools, uh, both public and private, largest public down to the smallest private, and in between. So, I've had a pretty good, you know. Uh, rainbow of experience. And I think the pivotal point was um, we had lost a game that would have put us into the state tournament. It was a very good year. It's a 20-plus win season, you know, and, and it, uh, it might have been our first at that school. And, and um, after the uh, game, you know, it was the last second shot we, we lost. And so after the game, my assistant – uh, and I usually had supper, and we would discuss the problems. And so I jumped straight to it and said, all right, Dan, go. I know you've, you've got something. Go, you know, I'm ready. And he said, I got one question. 
in the last four minutes of the game, when it was helter-skelter, trapping here, trapping there, no one could run anything, did we have the best five basketball players on the floor? And I said, well, you know, Dan, we had the best one, the best two, my best three, my best four, best five. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. Did we have the best five basketball players? I said, well, Dan, I don't think we could run our system if we do that. I mean, these numbers, uh, you know, a, a two player has certain responsibilities, you know, and if I have a one and two threes and a, and two fours in there and no fives, no two, then we're going to be disorganized. And he said, well, maybe there's something wrong with a system that doesn't allow you to put the best five basketball players on the floor. Now, he went on. You know, he just, you know, next, here's his next question. But that that became the thorn in my brain. Like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And um, instantly I had the answer. No, just kidding. <laughs> seven years later, how's that? I think it was about seven years later after searching everywhere, um, <clears throat> buying every VHS. Uh, for those that don't know, VHS was something that you it, – it was pre-DVD. And and I had searched for seven years and couldn't find anything. And so I thought, well, let me give it a shot and try to uh, create it on my own. And, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so it started with a – pretty innocent dinner conversation like a lot of coaches and you're frustrated after a loss and your forces you to ask questions and those questions some sometimes or oftentimes lead to better answers so that's when your brain starts you know you know you got a tickle in it and you're like hey I gotta I gotta scratch this thing because something's wrong and that that is I mean that's what that's what great that's when great things happen. Sam, let me follow up because my my assistant, pretty smart guy, he went on to be a, a, a head coach and AD at another school. Um, uh, he followed that that up a few days later with this question. He knew he he knew he had the knife in me, you know. And he said, "Hey, if you could start all over, what would you do different?" I said, "I think I'd just teach my players how to play without any kind of set plays. <laughs> they don't know how to play." And he said. Great, let's do it. And I said, I don't know how. You know, how do you, as soon as you go to five players, everyone begins to talk about patterns and set plays and that type of thing. Uh, uh, you know, and there were certain problems with motion offense that I just couldn't solve. And so that, that follow up question really uh, kind of put a fire uh, under me. And, and would you say that one of the kind of, limiting beliefs or restrictions to exploring putting your five best it requires you to give up some control as a coach and we as coaches love to control things and you 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 were probably hesitant to do that so maybe talk about that and then okay then when did it really start okay the the seed is planted but then it's like all right i'm gonna do something about this Right. Well, you know, the control issue is it's still there with all of us. The The question is, what do you want to control? You know, <laughs> do you want to micromanage every movement of every player on the floor or do you want to control and manage 
the decisions and the knowledge of of your players and what they're doing. I, I would much rather manage that because I know I've got long-term benefits there. But there was no system. We, we all agree on that. Everyone would agree on that. But there was no system. So um, real quickly, what I did was um, – I told you it was seven years later. So in 2003, I was running a camp in Laredo, Texas, with 15 hand-picked guys that wanted to work on their game for four straight weeks. Don't ever do that, by the way. Uh, but um, and and so I was exploring um, a thing I'd I'd seen in Europe called circle movement. If you drive right, everybody on the spot on on the perimeter moves one spot to their right. If you drive left, they all move one spot to the left. So there had to be spots on the floor. At the same time, I was teaching a shell drill uh, on passing, cutting, defending the passes, cuts, and we were using those spots to keep the drill going, pass, cut, fill out, fill up. And then it dawned on me, you know something? Um... If we could start every action on these spots and end every action on these spots, we wouldn't have to set up again. So I began to work with the players. I mean, we could just flow from one action to the next effortlessly, you know, without ever setting up. And then there would be, you know, you couldn't be scouted. uh, You'd be unpredictable. Uh, Now, the question was – how can I let the players just take what the defense gives? Well, uh, a motion offense uh, says there are five independent decision makers, okay? And and um, and that's where I differed. I said, no, I think there's got to be one primary decision maker, the ball handler. The other four must be um, managed by rules. They're going to read the ball handler and react with one – uh, predictable, uh, pre-planned action so that we would have 100% accountability from everybody. You, you know where, where that motivation came from? Was to keep the dorks out of the way of the great players. <laughs> okay? Of course, we were all dorks at one time. But, you know, uh, or two great players, one with the ball, one without the ball, they both see the opening. They One drives, the other flashes, and they screw it up for each other, right? So we had to manage that. And I said, all right, look, whoever has the ball, you're the man, you're the woman. We're going to train everybody else to react uh, accordingly. And uh, I limited myself to one rule to those without the ball, uh, for every action that the ball could take. And, um, uh, you know, I had four weeks there to work on that and actually work on it with the players, you know, because what I wanted was the ability to change formations, five out, four out, one in, three out, two in, to play any tempo, any style of play. And, and by now you should understand why. I'm a high school coach. I can't recruit to a system. I don't know what I'm going to have. I might have 10 guards one year, and then I might have, you know, 6'9", 6'8", 6'7", the next year. I don't I don't know. I may have no talent. I may have a lot of talent. And, um, and so I needed a, a system flexible enough to account for those that are still growing in the game and those that can play, and I want to maximize – the abilities and opportunities for those that can play. 
Hey, Rick, you know, a couple things jump out at me when I'm listening to you talk about it. One, one is, you know, basketball coaching is, to me, a little different than, you know, a football or baseball coach where it's, it's kind of like uh, checkers or chess, like make a move that, that then sets up the next move. And it's, it's not like poker. And hang with me here. I'm saying this for the first time, so I'm workshopping it myself uh, together. But like basketball is a little bit more like poker where you're just making the best decision with the information you have, meaning, you know, the game's going to have some two on one, some four on threes. You're going to have some zones, some man pressure. There's just a lot more instinctive plays where, you know, baseball, you're going to have a catcher, a pitcher, a batter. You're going to play a position. It's pretty static. And I apologize. I'm not banging on baseball or football coaches listening or football. You know, you run a route and it's predetermined where there's just a lot more. Um, there's a lot more. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, instinctive play that goes with basketball. And that's where like so that I think that's an important uh, distinction here. The second thing is. Just pausing for a second. So for those that are listening or hearing about Read and React for the first time, like I said this to you the other day, this is a pretty amazing thing. We're talking about what the origins of it. But fast forward to today, and you've got literally hundreds, if not thousands of people all over the world running this offense from youth ages up to the professional level with high-level athletes that's the beauty of it. I was just at a charity golf event a couple of weeks ago and I'm sitting at a table and talking to these guys, all of a sudden talking to this guy who lived in Indonesia and ran a, um, a basketball academy with thousands of kids and he's running, reading, react. That's where it is today. And I don't think people recognize how special that is because it's one thing to have an offensive action or like I'm watching a game. I draw up a little set play on my, on my napkin and then I put it in the next day. That's easy. You create an entire offense. So you you talked about Europe, the circle movement. All right. Then you you built in layers. You have layer one, two, three, four. I don't know. Now you have like, I don't know, 20 something layers, uh, whatever it is. But um, how, what, where did, where else did you draw some of the inspiration behind it to package it together? Actually from like, the way martial arts is uh, organized, okay, uh, they're not going. You know, you're going. Everyone's going to start at a white belt, and you're not going to go to the next belt until you can demonstrate uh, proficiency at that particular level. And at that particular level, as you know, it's move and counter move and move and counter move. And when you get to when you can actually do it, then you move up to to the next uh, to the next belt, and so that layering was uh, you know I actually stole that from a jujitsu uh, teacher who said, "Oh no no we're we're gonna we, we've got to cook you like we would a cake." He said, "We gotta put one layer on and cook it, get it done before we add another layer. If we add another layer too soon, it falls apart." And I thought, man, that's exactly the idea I want in basketball is because um, no one's at the same level, you know. And so 
even uh, let, let's go back to the analogy of, of mixed martial arts. You don't need everything to be a good fighter. You don't need to go to the very top of the bell system to be a really good fighter. Well, same way basketball-wise, you don't need all the layers of the read and react. The reason there are 10 layers with, uh, I don't know how many subdivisions underneath each one, is we're trying to cover everything in basketball. I don't even know a team that uses every possible action in basketball. Everybody should have the same foundation and the same rules up to a certain point. Um, so that that's kind of, you know, Sam, uh, look, uh, I'm just like you and Lisa. I can't interact with anything in life without thinking, uh, looking at it through a basketball filter. Tell me if that's not your case. Tell me if it's a, someone starts talking to you about some book they've read, it's going through a basketball filter. And All right, I was going to say, well, so people know you are like a black belt in jujitsu and no, no, wait, 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 wait. I was a black belt in Kempo and a purple in jujitsu to the jujitsu people. Uh, not black belt. Okay. Okay. Whatever you are, you're, you, you got, you got some background and that's impressive. I don't care if you're a, a, a brown belt. I don't even know the belts. You got a belt and you, you do jujitsu. So that's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, so, the, the the belt system or the layering system makes a lot of sense. And within your team, you know, you have, you know, especially high school coach li- listening. It's like, okay, I got this one. My best player plays basketball 12 months a year. Um, my third best player is on the football team and doesn't have the skill level. And so it allows you to, to, to play a structured system, but also have some freedom and creativity within that structure and just how you built it with these different layers. And Hey, when, when you pass, you do this, or when you drive this way, you do that. Like up until, up until this point, up until that point, when you create it, there really wasn't something like it. I mean, I've, I've run a lot of different offenses. I've watched a lot of VHS and DVD and been to a lot of clinics and installed a ton of offenses. And up to that point, that's when the light bulbs for me, when I first saw it was like, wait a second, what I like about this, we've got some structure, which you got to have, uh, but you also have freedom, which, which you got to have. If you're, you know, to your point, you go back to the original, the last four minutes of the game. It wasn't the play that scored. It was a player making a play. And that's what triggered all this. So I think the structure and the freedom piece, but you're, you're studying stuff from Europe and my recollection, you know, you looked at some specific actions and then you're like, okay, well, let's like, I don't, are you, are you able to kind of reverse engineer a little bit of how it was built out? Yes, and uh, um, let me. And you, you brought up so many good points. I want to uh, mention them before I forget them, and I'll, I'll talk to you about uh, the engineering of it. One of the other problems I saw at the time, well, I experienced for twenty years, is we're losing players because the game is over controlled and over coached, and it's boring. Uh, we are not um, capturing their energy or their creativity. We're not capturing their imagination. Let's put it that way. And and, and we're just losing too many. 
uh, at early ages. So that was one of one of the motivations. Another one that you, you mentioned, it reminded me that, you know, I was at a private school at the time and I wanted us all on the same page, all the coaches, all the players. And so the reason for the layering was I wanted to go back to my school and say, hey, sixth grade coach, layer one, that's all I want you to do. And here's the drills, here's the actions. Please spend the rest of your time on player development. That's what they need. They need to know how to shoot, how to dribble, how to play defense, how to run the floor, et cetera, like that, okay? Uh, I, I don't need 16 out-of-bounds plays for them, you know, that type of thing. And seventh grade, you're going, uh, you're going to add layers two and three. Eighth grade, layer four. Ninth grade, layer five, layer six. By the time that JV, the rest of them, by the time they get to me, I am operating the system. And by then, it's just how we play. You know, uh, the, so that was the, the, the big picture of it. Um, uh, the, the, a lot of the engineering of it, um, Sam, came from just my interaction with the players there. You know, asking them, okay, look, if we were to do this uh, at this point, what, you know, what would you do? I mean, look, I, I don't need – and they would come up with all kinds of complex things, okay? And in the end, they would settle on, you know, we're not going to remember that. Let's keep it as simple and as close to what you would naturally do. If you knew how to play, if you knew how to play, what would you do? And that way it would be a whole lot easier – to teach, you know. Um, now, the reasons for lots of these things are like, uh, for, as an example, uh, when we pass on the perimeter, we have a rule that you have to cut to the basket, and we don't change that rule, okay? And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I want pressure on the rim all of the time. Every time the ball moves, I want some kind of pressure on the rim. The reason is it's hard on defense. So you were talking about reverse engineering. Uh, just ask yourself as a defender, what do you not like doing? Well, that's what I want the offense to do. And I don't like guarding someone who cuts to the basket. Okay. I don't like guarding someone who is on the move almost all the time. Okay. Uh, also, I knew that shots scored inside the restricted arc what is inside the restricted arc right now are game changers you know that we, we we went over this in um the tracks program the the canadian challenge that if you score six more baskets inside the restricted arc uh regardless of your level regardless of the rest of the stats you win six more so i wanted that kind of pressure on the rim well now how do i do that how do i so here's what I did. In a motion offense, if you pass, you make decisions right there. Do I screen away? Do I go get the ball? Do I go screen on the ball? Do I cut to the basket? Do I space away? Do I just stay where I'm at? Yeah, number of things, okay? Well, that's too much, and you cannot get five-player coordination. By the way, that's what all coaches like about set plays and other offenses is the the coordination, knowing where and what all five players are supposed to do. There's accountability there, and we want we want the accountability. I mean, some for some of us, our job is on the line. So what? So what I did was I took those decisions away from the passer in the read and react. 
And I said, look, I'll give those decisions back to you when your feet get in the lane. So I changed the decision box from the point of the pass to where you are cutting to. Hey, cut, try to score first, put pressure on the rim. And if you don't get the ball back, then I'm going to coach you through all the possible next best actions that you can take once your feet get wet in the paint. And Rick, um, it's really interesting just hearing this history behind the read and react and, you know, having run it at the college level and been introduced to it. It's just uh, a great offense for empowering our players. And I think of, you know, good basketball is like good jazz, good improv where everybody's using the tools, their experiences to, to make the best thing happen. Right. And so, I was just thinking about how, okay, when you first put this together, did you feel the benefits of it? And did did you as a coach and as the players, did they feel the enjoyment of playing this new style? Or was there a lot of friction there? Was there a lot of um, tension between, okay, this is old style versus new style and, um, you know, playing with the principles of emotion? Did Is that something like you reap the benefits of right away? Or did that take time to kind of tweak some things as you went along? That is such an excellent question. And I got a great antidote for you. Okay. So it was, we were maybe, oh, 10 days into that camp. Okay. Now, look, I had two, uh, let me set the stage here. I had two FIBA pros. I had about five college players, and the remainder were high school. They all had some kind of like degree. You know what I mean? Like all state, all conference. Everybody felt they could beat everybody, you know, that that kind of group. So so I, I had, there's talent there. Well, the owner of the camp, now, so I'd, um, I'd been exploring. This was the first year with them. I did it two years with two different groups. And, um, uh, and so I was just working this out. I was about a week, maybe eight days into this. Okay. And Lisa, to your question, I was pushing them along. Okay. You know what I mean? Come on. You, you get, you know, trust me, I'm trying to build this big picture in their brain. Right. All right. So the owner of the camp had this brilliant idea that he would he, he had relationships in Mexico. We were on the border of Texas and Mexico, Laredo, Laredo, Texas. He scheduled the second team Olympic team from Mexico to come over the border and play us two games. OK, so I. So a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Well, Friday night, they show up in their bus with their nice uniforms, five coaches all decked out. And, and you know, we're in cutoff shirts. And and uh, and, uh, and so they we, we scrimmage that night. We have a couple of referees come in, and they beat us by 25, and it could have been 50. They were nice to us, okay? Well – I didn't say anything. You know, none of those, none of these guys were actually on my team back in, back in Atlanta. Well, I take that back. There were a couple that were on my team back in Atlanta. Well, I, um, the next morning we met early and I said, uh, just trying to bring a little, you know, levity to, I said, Hey, that was a lot of fun. Wasn't it? You know, and they all, their heads were all down and rumble, rumble, rumble. And I said, look, I I don't want to take you guys out of the game for something that, I'm, you know, 
that you don't agree with. Okay, so uh, look, I need to know what can I expect from you guys. We're we're like a week into this. Tell me what can I can really expect, and if you don't do it, I, I will sub you out. That that's what I really want to know, you know. And they said, well, they he hauled around, and they said, you know. I think that we could all agree that if we pass, we got to cut to the basket. One. Okay. And since everybody's so good one on one, if anybody drives, the rest of us should circle move a spot. And we all went around. Is that good? If you guys don't do that, I'm going to sub you out. It's just two things. Is that good now? I mean, we've got to be accountable. We all shook hands and patted each other and everything, right? We won by two. And the coaches from Mexico kind of gathered around me, asking me what it was I was running. This was unbelievable. What's the difference? Between and I'm trying to explain, and they don't believe me, okay? They don't believe me that there's two things, you know, passing cut and circle movement, layer one and layer four. And uh, from that point on, easy sell. It was a buy-in moment, Lisa, for – the players from there on, they kind of oh, you mean you're you really are turning the possession, the creation of the possession over to us. At one of them, the point guard said it like this. He said, uh, uh, "So what you're saying is, I can do whatever I want to do when I have the ball, but I will know ahead of time where all my teammates will go." based on what I do with the ball. Is that about right? And I said, yeah. And everyone's looking around like, really? That's it? Yeah. So you're really just trying to make us into better players. Yep. Huge buy-in moment, Lisa. Love that story. That's a, that's a great story, Rick. And, you know, as, so in these early days, as we move in the early days of this creation, right. And then, you know, at the time you, you've got better basketball and you, you know, just to rewind the clock, like you're making a lot of instructional videos. You've got a lot of instructional videos with NBA players in there, like how to become a better passer, a better dribbler, a better shooter. Um, but then as the read and react, you start realizing, hey, I've created this thing. You're, you're unpacking it for coaches. Coaches are like, hey, I really like this. I'm going to run it. Well, when do you kind of have this aha or do you have an aha moment of like, all right, people are actually running this offense I've created. I got to get this out to more people. That great question. Yeah. I, uh, better basketball took off, uh, as a business. And so I, I had to make a decision, you know, to fish or cut bait. So I, I went full time and, and I thought, okay, now what am I going to do with this read and react? I don't have a team right at the moment. So I I called all my best friends in, in the coaching business said, look, I've got some. Didn't even have a name for it, you know, really. I got something that I don't want just to sit on the shelf. I, I And I exp- usually I told them the story, you know, to your story of it. And and so I gave it away to a couple of my best friends, and, um, and they – uh, look, I mean, they began to experience success. One of them was a girls' coach, uh, 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 Buster uh, Buster Brown, um, and he had won a state championship uh, when I was coaching at the same school as him. And uh, and the other one was um, 
uh, Carter Wilson, the coach at Decatur, you know him, uh, uh, and he he had coached in college as well, and and so at, at Georgia State, I think it was. Anyway, I gave it to him. And they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll try it in the summer and that kind of thing." And they both had such success that what they told me was, and they weren't the only ones. I gave it away to a middle school and uh, in Tennessee and a b- bunch of others, and. Um, uh, and I gave it to them in notes, <laughs> and n- the notes never worked. To Every coach asked me to come and show them. Had to get actual feet on the floor, and that's when I, I realized this: the only way I'm going to be able to transfer this is on video. They've got to see it, okay? We're, visu- we're visual learners. And to their credit, they said, as an example, Coach Brown said, look, I would love to keep this as a secret weapon, but this is too good to keep to ourselves. You need to get this out into the community. Uh, and um, and my, my business partner at the time didn't want to go into the coaching market. We were doing, like you said, player development uh, videos. And so it sat on it, – it, I gave it away for four years, basically. And then um, – and then in 08, we actually made it public, and that's that's when it when it began to take off. Uh, uh, one, one more quick antidote to Lisa's uh, question uh, about buy-in. During that during those years where I was giving it away, I gave it away to a, a guy who was coaching at Bernal University, uh, which was an all women's college in North Georgia, and uh, I, of course, like the rest, I, I had to go up there and help, you know, be on the floor for a few practices and get them started and that kind of thing until he kind of got – he and his assistant got the idea. And then um, uh, just before the first game, I called him and said, hey, how's it going? You ready for this first game? He said, I am except for one thing. Uh, You know, the the best player on my team has not bought in, and she has given me such pushback. You know, she's one of these 25 points a game girls, you know, and – and uh, she's definitely the leader of the team. The team's going to go the way she goes. And, I, I mean, I'm fighting her every day in practice. She has a thousand questions, you know. Well, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. Well, you know, good luck, you know. And so uh, after the first game, they they won, and she scored 35 points. So he called me and said, hey, guess what? I said, got buy-in from my best player. You know, she scored 35. And I asked her why she was giving me such grief prior to this game. And she said, I thought this was very insightful. Uh, She said, all my life I've been the best player on on every team I've been on, and coaches run plays for me, so I know where my shots are coming from. I know where I'm going to get my shots, you know. And in the redirect, I'm going, as we're putting it in, I'm going, wait a minute, where where am I going to get my – my shots, my looks, my touches, you know, this is way too loosey-goosey. And she, after the first game, she said, I know where I'm getting my shots, <laughs> 35 points. Well, Rick, I, I think that that's a good, great story. The, I have two thoughts. One that jumped out at me is when Phil Jackson took over for Doug Collins with the Bulls and Michael Jordan was leading the league and scoring. And Phil's like, hey – we're going to run the triangle offense. You may not score as many points, but this is going to be better for the team. And you do, as a coach, you got to get buy-in from your best player. 
Because if not, they and you will be frustrated. So I think that's a good point there. And two, like read and react. And I, I may not say this the right way, but it's like it's an equal opportunity offense where the any motion, the ball's moving, people are moving. But the that's the science of it. The art of it is with the coach making sure that uh, people understand their roles. It's not like, hey, I love this read and react offense. I saw Rick Torbett run it there. I saw Iowa women's run it. I saw Emmanuel College men win a national championship. I'm putting in the offense and like off we go. No, you still got a coach because we got to make sure it may be equal opportunity, but it's not equal uh, shot opportunity. <laughs> I don't want my – I want I don't want Draymond Green shooting a bunch of threes. I want Clay Thompson and Steph Curry shooting threes. Is that maybe you have a better way of saying it? Well, I'm going to ask Lisa this as well. But I, I you remind me of I told you Carter Wilson. I gave it to him at Decatur High School in uh, in Atlanta, right? And we were talking about this, and he said this is how he handled it when I, when I brought it up. He said, "Oh, Rick," he said, "You're going to have to teach shot selection. I don't care what you run, you know, you know." If you run flex, and he did, he was good at it. He, he would beat you 43 to 42. You know what I mean? And then he put in the read and react, and he started averaging close to 80 points. Everybody in the community thought he'd lost his mind, you know, but they loved it. But but my point is you're, you're still going to have to teach shot selection. And I found that the ball the ball will find its way to your best players. Now, I, so I wanted to toss that over, if you don't mind, to Lisa. Lisa, what's your experience in, in college? Um, uh, does does the ball find the best players? Well, Lisa, before you answer, Rick, that is a great question, but that'll be in part two. Rick, we've done a great job, or you've done a great job unpacking the origins of the read and react offense, and we're going to go to part two now. So thanks so much. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of The Harwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. If you're interested in one of our coaching clinics, diving into one of our coaching tracks, or simply joining our PGC coaching community, go to pgccoaching.com to find the support you've been looking for in all aspects of your coaching. From The Harwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.